Well, I told you two weeks ago when we started Proverbs chapter 10 that this is a portion of the book of wisdom that um, is filled with contrasts. It's called antithetical poetry. And uh, so we've already looked at two weeks ago the first five verses as we looked at the wise versus the foolish son. And then last week we saw in several selected verses where it talks about the just and the wicked. And tonight there are three comparisons. They're not the sum total of everything Proverbs has to say about these groups of people, but it's like there's a statement or two, a statement or two, or a statement or two about each of these comparisons. So we're going to see the wise and the foolish, the comparison of the rich and the poor, and then a comparison of the righteous and the wicked. So we'll begin reading in verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 10 and read down through verse number 17. The Bible says, In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. The rich man's wealth is strong, is a strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. So notice, first of all, in verses 13 and 14, the contrast between the wise and the foolish. It says in verse 13, in the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. So we see the wise have understanding, but it goes on to say that the foolish are void of understanding. The Bible wording is, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. So this word understanding comes from a, a word that at its root talks about the heart or the character of an individual. Uh, it, it, it's sort of a broad word. It includes feelings. It includes intellect. But the idea is it's the core or the center of any individual. And so our heart is the core or center of what we are. And understanding, verse 13, uh, it says that in the lips of him that hath in his core wisdom, uh, he expresses it, it's found. You can find wisdom in the core of an individual, but then the contrast, those who lack wisdom, they are void of wisdom. And the word void talking about a complete lack or they're destitute of wisdom. And so there's this contrast, the wise at their core, they're able to express it. Whereas those who lack understanding, those who are not wise at their core, they have nothing to offer. They're void, they're empty. It's like cotton candy, you know, you bite into it, there's nothing there. And that's the same idea. You can see a Bible illustration of that in Solomon, the human writer of this book. 
Uh, Solomon sought wisdom. God gave him wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, Solomon prayed, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? God said, Solomon, what do you want? He could have asked for anything, but he asked for an understanding heart. Three verses later, God gave him his request. First Solomon three, uh, First Kings 3, verse 12 says, uh, Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee an a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. So Solomon's an illustration of the first half of verse 13, but his son Rehoboam is an illustration of the second half. Rehoboam lacked wisdom. Rehoboam couldn't see the danger of the decisions he was making. And therefore, the rod, which in the Bible is a picture of corporal punishment, the rod came to his house and to Israel because of the choices, the decisions he made. Uh, seeking and gaining God's wisdom, by the way, doesn't mean you'll never have trouble. Doesn't mean you'll never have frustrations. Doesn't mean you'll never have disappointments. But it does mean that you can avoid some problems that are costly. You can see the danger. You can have that the Holy Spirit giving you that sense of, you know what, this probably isn't the best choice. This, this is going to cost you. You better be careful about this. And uh, But the Bible is making it clear that those who lack God's wisdom, they suffer the hardship, the painful lessons of their own choices. You know, many times in ministry, you see people make choices that lead them away from God. Even uh, as Pastor Eli shared about Brother Buckingham, uh, you know, there was a, a young lady that uh, Holly was discipling and she made a very sad choice and she's going to reap bitter fruit from that. I mean, I'm, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I've watched life enough to know that to be the case. And, you know, you see people make those choices and you say, why on earth are you doing something that's going to harm you so much, but it's because they're lacking wisdom. They're lacking godly understanding. And so they suffer the pain that comes as a result. All throughout Proverbs, uh, when a rod is spoken of, it's spoken of an effective way to train children, but also as uh, a way of responding to fools. Proverbs 19.29, judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. Proverbs 26.3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. So the comparison is the wise have understanding, but the fools are void of understanding. Notice verse 14 as this comparison carries on. Wise men lay up knowledge, or, the, or you could put it, they store it up, they save it up. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. You put it in a monetary sense, 
wise people save for a rainy day, but fools spend every dollar that come into their hand. Now, I know it's not fun when you're young to save for retirement and to budget and to put yourself under strictures so that one day you're able to care for yourself in the old age. Uh, but that is a financial illustration of what this is teaching about wisdom. So put it into the context of wisdom. The wise accumulate uh, wisdom for a day when they'll need it. They, they, don't, they don't just wait till they have a crisis and then cry out for God's wisdom. They're seeking wisdom all the time. They're watching good examples. They're learning from the examples of others. They're saying to themselves, you know what? One day I'm going to need to remember that. One day I'm going to need to know that. One day, uh, I'll, I'll use a simple illustration. Uh, when Jan and I were early in our married life and, and God allowed her to get pregnant, we're looking forward for our first child to be born. I was very tuned in to the people in our church that I watched do a good job with their kids how their kids would sit in church and listen. They didn't have to be entertained. How they, how they dealt with when their child wasn't uh, responsive to their simple uh, you know, correction. How they would deal with it. They didn't put it off. They were proactive. Man, I, I was storing this away in my mind. I was storing it away. You know, one day I'm going to need to know how to deal with this. One day I'm going to... Now, all my life I've tried to watch and listen to pastors. When I was an assistant pastor would let me go to the airport and pick up a guest preacher or whatever, I would plan out. I'm going to ask him, what do you do about this? What do you think about that? What books have you read lately? And, and I got into reading by just asking every servant of God, what have you read lately that helped you and why? Now I made a list and then I'd watch for them on sale and I would buy them and read them. Why? I was storing up wisdom for the day when I would need it. And that's what the Bible says a wise person does. They don't just go from crisis to crisis uh, like a, a pinball uh, in, in the game, arcade game, but they understand that, you know what, one day I'm going to be under pressure. Uh, today, somebody texted me after I made the decision. We sent out the notice that we were going to be online, and they just jokingly said, there's another lesson that uh, nobody taught you in Bible college. I said, add it to the very long list of things they didn't tell me. But the reality is, you, decisions are decisions, and you have to make a right decision. You don't want to make it under pressure. You talk to a few people, you pray about it, and then you ask God to help you to make the right decision, to give you the wisdom, and go forward and don't second-guess yourself. But see, the, the foolish are not that way. The mouth of the foolish is near destruction. And we, in, in the, the Proverbs chapter 10, last week we noted, so we won't go through all that again, the number of uh, wise statements, Proverbs, about our speech and how we are to control our mouths. But let's look ahead at a few more verses. Look at Proverbs chapter 12. And verse number 23, a prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. Have you ever had somebody, 
you know, talk real authoritatively, and yet from your experience, you knew they didn't have a clue what they were talking about? There you go, Proverbs 12, 23. Look at chapter 13, verse 3. He that keepeth his mouth or guardeth his mouth guardeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. And we could go on. I've got another six references in Proverbs alone. Let me give you one New Testament verse, James chapter 1. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. The point is, the Bible says we get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we talk too much and don't listen as much. Uh, what does James say? We're to be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So the contrast between the wise and the foolish, the second contrast is between storing up wisdom for the needed time and spewing out folly, which brings ruin or our own destruction. So the contrast between uh, the wise and the foolish. The second contrast is found in just one verse. It's between the rich and the poor, verse 15. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Now, before you sit back, cross your arms and say, well, I can take a nap now because I'm not rich, compared to some people in the world, you are. In fact, compared to many people in the world, you are. So what is it that the Bible wants us to see here? Well, it says, first of all, that the resources of the rich are a protection. Verse 15, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. So, in other words, emergencies come up, they're easily cared for. Oh, I blew a tire, I can, I can buy a tire. My water heater went out, I can replace my water heater. I, I, I've, I've got the resources to do that. Uh, but when you're uh, on poverty's edge, any little extra uh, emergency can cause a great deal of stress. Now, you know, very few of us live our lives with unlimited resources, so there's never a stress. Last night before our staff Christmas party, we were just chatting, and, and I didn't check this out. I, I take it uh, to be true. One of, the, one of the men said to me that he had just read how Elon Musk is so wealthy he could give every person in the world a million dollars and still be a billionaire. I said, well, I'd volunteer. If he wants to try that little exercise, every member in our church, that'd be, a, you know, we'd, we'd find a way to suffer through that. That's, that's, that's mine, that's beyond my ability to comprehend. And it's beyond yours as well, I'm sure. But the point is, he, he never thinks about, he never stops to think about 
oh, well, I can't exceed this amount in my grocery budget. He doesn't stop to think about what a car's going to cost. Of course, he makes the cars. Uh, he doesn't think what it costs to fly to the outer space, you know, and whatever he calls his, uh, uh, it's not Blue Origin, it's uh, SpaceX. Is that what his is? I don't know. I think so. Hey, what do you know? I'm, I know something in the contemporary world. That's, that's, that's pretty good for me. Now, but the truth is, there are benefits to having resources, absolutely. But the downside is that we become independent of God. In fact, we won't turn there, but Proverbs 18.11 is a quote of the first half of chapter 10, verse 15. It says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. But he goes on to say, and an high wall is his own conceit. What is he saying? He, he feels like his wealth is like a strong city. In the Bible days, the stronger the wall, the more fortified the wall, the safer you felt uh, because no one could invade and harm you. But, you know, this isn't the only verse in Proverbs that deals with riches, wealth, etc. In fact, uh, the Bible also says that Wicked people can gain riches. Look at chapter 11, verse 18. The wicked worketh the deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. Look at chapter 13 and verse 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. So as you start looking at the different proverbs that speak about finance, about uh, saving, about wealth. It says wicked people can get wealthy just like God's people can if that were God's will for their lives, but uh, they aren't secure in it. Let me just give you five principles that God gives us regarding riches. You'll just have to jot down the references. You, we don't have time to look them up. But God says, first of all, don't set your heart to be rich. Psalm 62, verse 10. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. What's he saying? Don't ever move your trust away from God. Don't ever move your confidence away from God, no matter how God blesses your life. Principle number two, not only don't set your heart on riches, but don't glory in them. Jeremiah 9.23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. And he goes on to talk about, no matter how God blesses your life, you're to glory in the Lord alone. Number three, and remember, this is very well known, but it's worthy of being reminded of, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. It not, it, there's no problem with being successful. God is honored. God is acknowledged. In your, in, in the, you have the spiritual gift of giving. God enables you to earn so you can give. And I'm thankful for people like that who see that in the ministry. Though They don't gain for self. They gain for God's blessing. But 1 Timothy 6, uh, 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. 
which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The fourth principle, seeking riches or seeking wealth can bring a snare. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But they that will be rich. In other words, the idea is those that that's their plan, that's their goal, that's what they strive after. They fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and, perdi and perdition. And the fifth principle that I just share, riches disappear as quickly as they are gained. Proverbs 23, 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Now, God never condemns, in fact, some of the greatest Christians in Scripture were quite wealthy. Job, it's quite a bit of wealth he lost and gained. Abraham, David, and others. So it's not a condemnation, but there is great danger. And so we're not to put our hope, find our security in, uh, find our comfort in those things. But notice the second half of the verse, the destruction of the poor is their poverty. Whatever God's choice for you, whatever God's choice for me, our confidence needs to be in the Lord. It's not fun to not have the resources to care for emergencies or unforeseen expenses. But there are some blessings. You know, if that's God's plan for you, see how God wants to use it in your life. You'll learn to trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Remember, Christ became poor so that we could be spiritually rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And God said in James 2, 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised them that love him? Look, you know, the world wants us to think that if I just had enough financial resources, I would have no worries. That's absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. Look at the lives of the rich and famous. They're on their fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth wife or husband trying to find somebody to make them happy. You don't think there's heartbreak there? I guarantee you there's heartbreak. Look at how many of their kids are messed up. Almost every week you can find some person grew up in a wealthy home that died of a drug overdose or messed up their lives so majorly they'll, they'll never be normal. It, it is a gift if it is understood in the right context. What did Solomon pray? Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Think about it. Would you rather be poor financially and rich spiritually or rich financially and poor spiritually? Now, it's not either or, and they're not ultimate, I understand. 
But I'm just saying, it, as, as believers in the world that we live in, we need to be very careful to guard our hearts from adopting a worldly view of finances and success. And lastly, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Look at verse 16. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. We see two thoughts here as we bring this to a close. Number one, the labor of the riches, or the labor of the righteous, excuse me, gives life. In other words, those whom God has blessed, they use their life, they use their resources in ways that encourage and strengthen and that are positive. Romans 8.6 puts it this way, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Look, you know, no matter what your resources are, no matter where you are on the financial scale of this world, one day your life's going to end. The emptiest life I can imagine is one that only leaves behind things. Now think with me for a moment. Folks, you know, I've done enough funerals and dealt with enough families and I watched a family fighting over stuff after mom and dad died. Let me tell you, it's an ugly thing. It's a real ugly thing when they're all claimed to be saved too. If the only thing I can leave behind for my kids to remember me by is something, I've failed. But if I can leave behind a pattern of a life that has a purpose that's bigger than these 70, 80 years, whatever God gives me, then I've given them life. I may, not, I may not leave them a, an inheritance, and I've already told them, don't plan on it. I plan on living long enough to spend it all and then, then die, you know. But, uh, but that, that's, if that's all you can give, the shallow, meaningless life. But if you can give them a heritage of seeking after God and living for God and touching people for eternity, the labor of the righteous is life. But then he goes on to say in verse 16, but the fruit of the wicked is sin. Well, what's fruit? That's a product of a tree. So in contrast to the righteous life, producing life, the wicked life is destructive. It brings ruin. The product, remember, of a tree is a revelation of the tree. So what is your life going to leave behind? I'm not trying to be morbid here, and I certainly am not encouraging that, but I'm saying we ought to so live that our life leaves a refreshing uh, aroma of what it means to live with eternity in view. And then notice one last thought, verse 17. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction. But he that refuseth reproof erreth. The wise person 
is teachable. The fool is not. This word instruction, it's found about 25 times that I can find in the book of Proverbs. It means more than teaching and knowledge. It has the idea of um, the shaping of a life. Correction, discipline, instruction, doctrine, and even rebuke. It includes all of those ideas. So if you want to be a person who has a life that's growing, how do you respond to rebuke? How do you respond to instruction? Because the second half of the verse says, he that refuseth reproof erreth. You can put it this way, wise receive correction, fools reject it. Or as one writer put it, a simple test as to whether we're acting and living wisely or foolishly is how we respond when we're corrected, rebuked, or instructed. Proverbs is a treasure trove of how to respond. And it put into this antithetical kind of a uh, layout, you say, okay, if I want to be wise, this is how I act. This is how I respond. This is how I grow. If I want to be a fool, then this is how I handle instruction, finances, life. So nobody has an excuse. If we're God's children, we have the spirit of God living in us, then God gives us all that is necessary for us to have a heart like Solomon who says, Lord, I'm not going to ask you for riches. I'm not going to ask you for ease. I'm not going to ask you for, you know, sunny days. I just want to know how to live this life in a manner that pleases you. So one day I hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that ought to be all of our desire.